The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. Well, the Royals have finished a very disappointing homestand, dropping five of the six games and winners of just two of their last 11 ball games. It's Davo, and we're glad you're along for another edition of your dish on Clubhouse Conversation. As always, our Royals Clubhouse Conversation insider, Jake Lutz, also joins us to talk some Royals as we do here on the dish. Jacob, how's everything going in your neck of the woods, man? I'm doing a lot better than the uh, Royals starting rotation, Dave. I'll tell you that. Oh, gosh. Man, where do we even start with this? Well, yeah, the starting rotation, we will start there in a second. got a lot to talk about on this episode of The Dish. Jake, first of all, before we get into the specifics of the ball club, some more gen- generalities here. The Royals are now tied with Baltimore. I'm sure you saw the worst record in the American League now. The White Sox are percentage points ahead of the Royals in the, in the division. So the Royals and Baltimore are both sitting at 14 and 32, just a 302 winning percentage. Jake, we are on pace to lose well over 100 games. And I've got to know, will this ball club lose 100 games? I think so. Um, I mean, it may not. It'll probably be right around 100. I think it's going to be close. But just because, you know, how many pieces are going to get traded away at the deadline and we're going to be seeing faces, you know, in August and September that we're not familiar with, and I'm not sure that's going to make it any better than it is right now. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you'll see, as you know, a, a bad ball club, especially one that turns young, it kind of get a little, you know, shot in the arm. Or you know, I remember back when Tony Pena first took over as Royals manager way back in the day. What was that two thousand one or two, whatever year that was? And uh, you know, they came out and, and you know played really well. And a lot of times you'll see young guys come up and kind of put somebody, breathe some life, and you might have a little nice stretch there for a while. But over time. Uh, you're right. They probably will take some steps further back, depending on who is dealt and who they get in. Although we, at some point, you got to think though, Jake, that there's going to be a good—I don't want to say a good month, but maybe a good homestand or maybe like a good two-week stretch. I mean, is this team just incapable of that the way it is now with the rotation, as you mentioned, going into shambles? Um, I mean, yeah, it starts with the rotation. If the rotation could perform, you know, if, if everyone could have a good week, they could have a good week of baseball. But when You've gotten what you've gotten the last couple of weeks. It's, it's really hard to do anything, even if the offense is performing. So I think they're capable of going on a, you know, I think they'll have, you know, weeks where they win, you know, four out of seven games or five out of seven games. But there's just a lot fewer of those than we're used to. Yeah, and then they're well on their way to 100. So really to avoid 100 losses, they're going to have to probably put together a good month at some point and approach 500 for a month. That might be enough if they could play 500 for a month to to starve off 100 losses. Well, that seems pretty doubtful that they could even do that. But you never know, Jake, because we do have a lot of games coming up with the White Sox and Tigers who aren't exactly performing uh, at a high level either. So this team does have a seven-game road trip coming up. Uh, three games in St. Louis against the Cardinals, uh, two night games and a day game on Wednesday, uh, and then four over the weekend at their surprise Arizona complex mates, the Texas Rangers. The Royals will play four there over next weekend. And both of these two teams, Jake, do struggle scoring runs, the Cardinals and the Rangers. It's weird saying the Rangers don't score a lot of runs, but especially in that ballpark. But this, this offense this year has had a lot of injuries. It's not performing at a high level. Same with the Cardinals. They've had guys like... Matt Carpenter, who who whiffs at more pitches, or when, sorry, that's not the, the right terminology. He has the smallest uh, hot zone of any strike zone in all of baseball. I was reading an article 
the other day on The Athletic about Matt Carpenter and how he's turned into literally one of the worst hitting everyday players in the major leagues, simply, you know, seemingly overnight. But Matt Carpenter not hitting like he used to, and Marcelo Zuna somehow, I think, is stuck on three home runs still after bashing close to 40 last year. And they've had some injuries with Pham, you know, coming back and, and going back out and coming back. I know Bader's been banged up, DeYoung. So you would think, Jake, and you, you lose the DH, so you get to pitch to a pitcher at least a couple of times. Could this be a series with the Royals pitchers? Could potentially hold an offense down, starting pitchers. I mean, um, it, yeah. I mean, the Cardinals do struggle to score. They they also do hit. You know, they do hit some home runs. It seems to be the way that they score a lot of the runs. Um, so it'll be. What I'm more worried about is the Royals being able to score runs because start the Cardinals starting pitching has been fantastic all year. Yeah, bullpen's been pretty good too. So. I mean, there could be some closer games. It's just a matter of whether the Royals' offense, I think, can come alive. But the starting it's, it starts with the starting pitching. They've got to give them a chance and keep them in the games. And it, it just hasn't been happening in the last couple of weeks. But, yeah, this is definitely a good chance and a good ballpark and a good team to get it going again. Well, you mentioned the Cardinals starting pitching. One guy I'm glad the Royals are missing is the guy who I believe made his second major league start today, Jack Flaherty, the right-hander, Jake. You see that today, 13 strikeouts yeah. over the Phillies today <laughs> for that kid? Yeah. He's got some good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think he threw like 115 pitches. So they really surprisingly kind of threw him out there quite a ways. But um, I digress on that one. I don't manage the ball club. So there you go. But anyway, uh, you know, so some winnable games there in St. Louis. Um, and then you go to Texas for four. And Texas is, I don't know, man. They just seem like it's an old baseball team offensively. There's some good young players on that team, Mazzara and, and uh, Delano DeShields, and you know maybe Profart someday can get over these injuries. But you've got some older guys like Shinsu Chu who seem kind of downhill. Beltre's been on and off the DL. Um, so it would seem like, Jake, uh, another series the Royals could do well in, but I'm not, I don't know that I'm real excited about seeing Danny Duffy pitch in that hitter's paradise either on Thursday. No, no, I'm I'm not either. It, it's a series where you, you know the Royals. I think they can score some runs, and it is a different Texas ball club. They've been struggling to score all year, um, and it's, it's a good ballpark for the Royals to be in. But they got they just got to get something going right now because because I feel like right now you know the issue. I mean, starting pitching has been an issue. I mean, the bullpen has it's not been terrible, but it's it hasn't really been involved to be honest. I mean, close games, and then the offense really has has quieted down here lately as well. Yeah, the, the bullpen's gotten markedly better ever since we saw Justin Grimm and Brandon Maurer kind of go away. Um, one, of course, DFA, the other, although he did clear waivers in his at Omaha, that being Maurer. The other, Grimm, uh, I think he's maybe starting a rehab assignment this week, so he may be back coming up in the near future. But ever since those guys kind of got shipped out and you brought up Kevin McCarthy and, and Jason Adam, things have, you're right, settled down a bit in the back of the bullpen. Dare I say, outside of last night, Blaine Boyer has even been decent the last couple of weeks, although I'm with a lot of Royals Nation is, you know, why do you need a, a mid to upper 30s reliever who can't, you know, do anything anymore that's not really in your plans? I mean, but then again, we've talked about this before, Jake. It's all about inventory. You don't want to put guys in the 40 too soon. Um, you don't want to rush guys to the major leagues. You don't want to start service clocks. And, and there is also, the, of course, the obvious thing that there aren't a ton of high-level relievers left in Omaha now that you've got Adam and McCarthy up. You do got some you know, good, good guys down there like Kevin Linick, who we're talking to soon here on Clubhouse Conversation, and Richard Lovelady, Josh Stamont. There's certainly some and a few others down there. But you know, some of those guys aren't in the 40 yet. And so you, know, you kind of just go with what you have for a while. And it's always good to have some veterans on the team as well to help some of those young arms out there in the bullpen. The Royals really do, Jake, outside of Herrera and Boyer, 
have a pretty young bullpen, right? I mean, you've got Blaine Boyer saving the team bus and, and in Toronto and kind of mentoring some of the young guys. They're Tim Hills, your Brad Keller, so uh, you're Jason Adams. You know, I guess not literally young, but young in major league years. So it is good to have some of those mm-hmm. veterans out there, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, Boyer has definitely been better. And, you know, he's, he's been around for a while, so he's probably a good guy to have, you know, whether he's pitching well or not. He knows, you know, how to make it in the league and how to make it as a pin arm. So he's a good guy to have around with all these young guys who are, uh, you know, just starting off their careers right now. Well, I've gotten several tweets at Royals Clubhouse. If you ever have questions, by the way, hit us up. We'll uh, answer some on Twitter and then answer some here on The Dish. Jake, all week we've been getting questions about Danny Duffy. So let's start here with some individual questions here. Danny Duffy. So I don't know, man. So you and I were talking before the year. Uh, it was nice the Royals had you know some real club-friendly contracts, Salvador Perez and, and Danny Duffy being the main two. And I don't know, man. I mean, it went from coming into the season, you and I talked right here on the dish, that we thought maybe Danny Duffy was a bit overhyped by Royals Nation. You know, the Royals wanted him to be their ace by default, and, and that's fine. You know, every team needs a quote-unquote ace. But he was never, in any sense of the imagination, a true number one Major League starter. I think some people kind of, you know, lost track of that. So at the end of last year and, at, you know, very early this year, people were very disappointed, myself included. I was so disappointed that he was, you know, couldn't hold a 4 nothing lead on opening day and on and on, and the White Sox keep battering him around. But then, I, you know, you and I talked about, well, it's still a good contract if Danny Duffy is a good number three, even a decent number four, or, you know, or a decent number three and a good number four, right? I mean, that's still a pretty good contract. He, he's owed $52 million, though, Jake, the next three and a half years-ish. So $52 million the Royals are on the books for with this guy. And obviously, right now, he's gone from what you and I thought was, you know, a good number four or a decent number three to you know, a triple A AAA starter or, or, you know, a guy you have to put in long relief or, or try him in short spurts like a la Wade Davis. But you can't do that on a bad ball club when you're owing him $52 million, right? I mean, that's it's one thing to have a, a Wade Davis on a World Series team or, you know, a Ho-Chaver or whatever you call it, a, a quote-unquote failed starter on a high-level playoff team that, you know, that can put you over the top. It's another thing to have that on a team that's not going to win games anyways and making $52 million. Talk about Danny Duffy's contract and where you see him going from here. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a tough situation because yeah, the, you, you're not going to put him in the bullpen. I mean, you're going to continue to start him and let him try to figure it out. But it it is frustrating because you know we thought this was a really good deal at the time that it was signed, and now you know if it keeps trending the way it is right now, it's looking like a pretty terrible deal. So, I mean, he got to get it together. It, it's just I keep waiting for him. To, you, know, you would think the you know a good start somewhere, but it's just like it keeps getting worse and worse. I mean. He's given up, what, 14 home runs this season? Yeah. I mean, and it's mid-May. And it's just the fact his command has just been so bad all year. I mean, he's, he cannot locate the ball anywhere that he wants to. His his off-speed stuff hasn't been good. Everything's just been a disaster for him. So the future, I mean, you know, obviously, right, he's going to have to, um, you know, improve for to ever even get any interest from anyone else. But, you know, we're stuck with this contract right now, and he just needs to figure it out. And, think you just keep putting them out there and hope that you know something gets better but it's hard to say i mean I, i'm not really sure what you do if you put him out there three or four more times and he just continues to get lit up yeah i mean they're gonna they're gonna have to do something at that point i mean, I mean he's been getting lit up for a month now so you know really the whole season an era approaching seven from danny duffy jake so yeah you're right i mean the stuff is flat 
Um, he's not putting guys away when he gets to two strikes. Everything's up, especially the off-speed and the secondary pitches seem to be up. The velo is pretty good with the fastball, and he, he swears he's not hurt. I know you and I had some private conversations earlier this year that maybe we thought something was wrong, but it doesn't appear to be wrong, and he you know was insistent upon that after the game yesterday with the media. Um, the stuff's flat, Jake. It's up. He's not locating, like you said, command. The word command. You're exactly right. He's hitting the strike zone sometimes, but when it's right in the middle, you're not putting the right the ball in the right spot of the zone. The command is definitely that right now, not there with Danny Duffy. So, I mean, here's the deal, Jake. I mean, during the offseason and during last season, especially, here's the deal. Number one, people were criticizing Dayton Moore last year for not trading guys at the deadline. And I think you and I both thought there was no way he should have. We agreed with him. What are you, a game out of the playoffs when you went and made that trade with the Padres, right? And then, so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're not, you're not selling guys at the deadline last year when you're yeah. a game out of the playoffs on the last year of the guys. You, you give it one more go. So I'm 100% with Dayton last year. Now, this winter, we heard. Hot rumors. There was some smoke from people I've talked to. Nothing was ever like super, super, super close to happening, but there was definitely some preliminary discussions with two different teams about Danny Duffy being dealt. And he went on Twitter and, you know, went on kind of a tangent about how he doesn't want to leave. He wants to retire a Royal, reemphasize the Baramir Royal, which Royals Nation, of course, loves. Jake, like you mentioned, there's no value now. He's not going anywhere now. Did the Royals make a mistake by not trading him over the winter? I mean, I mean, when you look at his numbers now, I think they absolutely did. And uh, now that you bring that up, it makes me think of you know because Duffy, you know, we've I wouldn't say he's a head case, but at the time, at times in his career, we've kind of you know he's we, he's kind of had that reputation a little bit. And I wonder if the fact that they were considering trading him in the off season, or that maybe he was thinking he was going to get traded, you know, at the deadline this year, maybe had something to do with his performance so far because maybe he's just not all the way there. You know, that's something I hadn't even really thought about until today, which. Who knows? But regardless, I mean, yeah, I think they did make a mistake because if there were deals out there in the off season, you were going to get you know even one legitimate good prospect. That <laughs> now, when you look at his numbers, you really feel like you probably should have taken that deal, especially with the direction this team is going at being in a rebuild. Right now, uh, so you and I are both 100% last year. Keep everyone, go for it last year. So we're 100% with Dayton last year, and 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 I think at the time, if you ask us. We would have said the same thing as now. We would have said if, if the deal's there, take it. But I don't think either of us would have been trying to dump Danny Duffy. Yet. So I, I think, I think you and I both probably give Dayton more a pass for the winner as well, right? But I, I, but can you agree that anybody with value who will fetch you good prospects has to go at this deadline? Can we agree on that now, hundred percent? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, yeah, they have they have to go. I mean, you you have to restock that farm system this this year, and you've got some pieces you can do it with. So yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and there's injuries, you know, everywhere popping up. So guys like Mike Moustakis and Calvin Herrera and, you know, even Whit Merrifield. I mean, heck, you don't laugh, but, you know, a lot of shortstops have been going down. Maybe even Escobar. Escobar's not going to get you anything. I'm not living in a fantasy world here. But what he would do is, you know, maybe you could get a Paul Orlando type or you get a lottery ticket back, you know, somebody that could become a, a spare part next time you win. And you could also open up shortstop once Alberto Mondesi gets healthy enough to play every day. So who knows? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, maybe even John Jay gets you something. Maybe Lucas Duda gets you something, Jake. I mean, dare I say even Salvador Perez. I don't think the Royals would do that because you've got to field a ball club and you've got to sell some tickets and you've got a, a new TV deal at the end of next season that needs to be signed. So there's certain things you have to use, um, you know, both sides of the argument. But certainly the Royals do have some nice pieces. Now, so Danny Duffy... I guess we both agree. We, I mean, Jake, can it get worse for him? 
I mean, I, I don't see how it can, but I feel like we said that the last time we were on the podcast. Yeah, we too. did. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, you feel like it only can go up. I mean, he, he just needs, I feel like one good outing maybe would get his confidence going. I just feel like his confidence right now is probably as, as low as it can be. Right. So, uh, I mean, he needs to keep working on his mechanics, see if maybe there's something there and, and figure it out from then. Hopefully, you know, because, yeah, we, we need his value to go up. Now, speaking of something there, one good thing, Jake, about being a bad ball club and being able to lose at the major league level is that you can find out if there's something there, to use your words. And the guy I'm talking about next is Eric Skoglin. So uh, Skoglin had a couple of nice starts before today against the Yankees, most notably against Tampa Bay. He has shown some ability lately to miss bats a little bit more. He seems to really – I forget which game it was, Jake. It might have been against the Tigers, whoever it was. Do you remember the game when he was just missing the zone and looked like he was just trying to – you know, touch the corners and and just you know be way too fine. I mean, you're a starting pitcher; you can't do that. And, and Ned Yost came out and give Ned credit for this. Do you remember this mound visit when he came out there and you could pretty much just tell him he was saying, "Attack the damn hitters, throw strikes, attack them. Mm-hmm. If you get beat, you get beat. You've got great stuff, kid." And ever since that, he's he's been attacking more. He's been less nibbling, and he's been you know quite a bit better. He mowed down the White Sox a few starts back and was really good against Tampa. And you know, for a few innings today against the Yankees, he even looked pretty good. He was able to hold down Aaron Judge, although the Royals did pretty much all weekend, which is pretty impressive. But, you know, Skoglund, I guess one good thing about the rebuild is you find out what's there. Have you been like me and maybe a, a little pleasantly surprised the last few outings? Yeah, I've been really impressed with Eric Skoglund. And even today, I mean, I was I was out there right behind home play watching today, and his stuff, the first three innings, was good. He had their hitters off balance. Um, he was hitting the corners, and, you know, he was attacking them. And the second time through they got to him, he was leaving the ball off a little bit and uh, getting behind hitters. And that's, you know, when you face a lineup like the Yankees, which is, I mean, we would probably both say probably the best lineup in all of baseball right now. Right up there. I mean, you could make an argument for the Astros, I guess. But the Yankees, that lineup, I mean, I still thought that his stuff the first time through looked good, and he just, you know, he was attacking hitters and got beat, just like Ned said. I mean, it's going to happen sometimes. But he was really impressive the two starts beforehand. And it's it's good for a season like this when, you know, you, you can see Eric Skoglin. I'm excited to see what he can do for the full season to see if we have something there because – you know, me and you both, I mean, even back a month ago, we're thinking, yeah, he's just a minor league guy, a 4A guy. But he's starting to look like he could actually be a guy who maybe is at the back end of your rotation. So I'm excited to see him more because I think we're, we've definitely seen some drastic improvements already since last year. Dare I make a comp? And I'm going from my eyes. I'm not comparing them via stats. So this may not be totally correct. But just from my eyes, Jake, and knowledge, dare I compare him to a young Matthew Boyd, a guy who struggled immensely in the past and has kind of put it together this year. You can see a little bit of that there. Yeah, even even the you know the speed that they throw and the pitches they throw are actually somewhat similar. The size yeah. and the in the, the size and height. I mean, yeah, definitely. Because yeah. Matthew Boyd, I mean, he was a guy. I mean, he used to talk. We'd get excited every time the Royals were facing him. A couple <laughs> not of years anymore. Ago. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's he's turned into a yeah. good pitcher. And the, and the fit matches the ERA too. So it looks like it's not luck. It looks like it might actually be real with Boyd. Uh, some more. We have a few more Twitter questions here, Jake. Uh, before we wrap it up here in a few minutes, uh, who goes first out of the rotation? Danny Duffy or Jason Hamill? Who is out of the rotation first? I mean, I, I still would probably say Jason Hamill just because, you know, we know the Duffy's here for, here, I mean, because of the contract. He's going to continue to stay in it. I think they're just going to keep putting him out there. And it's not like Jason Hamill's really been any better. I mean, he's been a disaster all year as well. And really, it was a disaster last year, too. I mean, he, he hasn't even got. <laughs> He hasn't had a win in a game. Not that we really care about wins and losses, but he doesn't have a win since what is like 
heard at the event, I think it was early September last year, <laughs> the last time he won a game. Yeah, we're so like, like 12 starts or something. Team, <laughs> not putting the team in any position to win. And, and, I mean, you're either, I mean, I think they want to see him a little bit longer to see if he can turn around, if you can get anything out of him. But most likely, I, I don't see that probably happening. On the pitching staff, another intriguing guy that's young. We mentioned Skoglin, and we talked a lot about this guy too. But Brad Keller, we're starting to hear whispers about him as a starter and a guy that we could certainly see in the starting rotation sooner rather than later. I think he's probably might even be the next logical guy to go in there. I mean, you've got Trevor Oaks on the 40 and Scott Barlow. We've seen both of them this year. Perhaps Jesse Hahn, if he can ever get healthy. You've got some other guys that could start games for the Royals this year. But don't sleep on Brad Keller. Jake, I mean, you and I are like, the number one Brad Keller fans. I want to say we were there before. We, we talked about him during spring training when you were out in surprise giving me reports out there. I feel like you and I were on the Keller bandwagon early. So it just same as Kevin Lennock, who we're talking to this week in Clubhouse Conversation. There's certain guys that you just kind of catch early and you like take pride in them. It's like the, 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 the song on the album before it goes on the radio, right? You're like, oh, I knew that song before the masses did. So it's kind of <laughs> cool to think like that. But our Brad, Jake, let's call him our Brad. You know, him in the rotation, are you pretty excited about this? Yeah, I'm excited to see it because we've seen him in long relief and he's been really effective. I mean, it was that against a couple of weeks ago that he went three innings and just shut the door. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of which game that even was, but it, it was impressive. Went to extras, right? Did he's he shown that he can go three, so I, I, I really want to see him start. He's got good stuff. I mean, even if Fred Keller turns out to be a bullpen guy or even because a long relief guy who could, you know, pitch the seventh inning or even go two innings for you, if that's what he ends up being, that's perfectly fine, but I definitely want to see him start because if you've got a starting pitcher there, I mean, to get a Rule 5 guy, yeah. he's 22 years old right. and throws in the mid to upper 90s. I mean, yeah. he's got really good stuff, and I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I think it'll, it'll be uh, – It'll be really interesting to watch the rest of and, the year. And don't forget, Jake. Oh, I forgot to mention Nate Carnes, by the way, too. It's a guy that, although he's probably going to the bullpen, I guess he could start in the future. But yeah, Brad Keller, man, you, if, if you squint right now, Jake, I know people, you know, and justifiably so, the Royals don't have a lot of high-end starting pitching anywhere close to the big leagues. I'm saying high-end. They've got some guys that could be solid big league starters. But high-end guys are a ways away. But if you squint, though, Jake, can't you see a decent-looking Starting rotation in the future on the horizon, you look at a guy like Jake Junis, who has been an absolute stud, absolute surprise. I mean, he looks like he could slide in for you know a good five to eight years in this Royals rotation. Maybe Brad Keller uh, joins that bunch. Maybe Eric Skoglin turns into a decent number four, number five. Maybe you're able to flip some of these guys you're trading this year for a, a stud pitcher. And, and then don't forget, of course, they've got four picks in the first, what, 45 picks or whatever it is in this year's draft. Yep. So, I mean, there's... There's chances to really add starting pitching with what they've already got. I mean, I think if you squint, Jake, there's there's not a horrible view of the Royals starting pitching in the future. And I certainly, and you and I both are on this same page, for going into the year we were thought it was ridiculous the Royals had the quote-unquote second-worst farm system. I know you and I both think the Royals are more like middle of the pack, and I know people are laughing when they hear that, that know everything about the prospects, that think they know everything about the prospects. But there are some really nice pieces. When you've got guys like – I mean, just look at some of the guys that have come up the last five years that were never even rated. Salvador Perez, like it's been longer than five years ago, but last eight years. Salvador Perez, Greg Holland, Whit Merrifield, Jake Junis, on and on. You know, you go through all these guys. Love Lady wasn't until this year. You go through all these guys that keep moving up through the system – that come out of nowhere and, are, and turn out to be above average or really good major league players, Jake. So I think people are, are a little wrong here if they've been rolling their eyes at the Royals minor league system because I don't think it's as far away as people think it is. Now, the starting pitching certainly does need some help and a shot in the arm, but uh, it, it's there, Jake, right? It's coming? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you, if you look at the you know, low A and high A right now, there's some serious talent down there that's not getting talked about enough, at least on the national landscape. I mean, 
we're looking at and we see, you know, the numbers that like guys like MJ Melendez are putting up right now or Nick Prado. But, um, you know, the pitching, yeah, they, they're going to need more help. But this year's draft, I think, is a good chance to possibly draft a couple guys, maybe even a couple of college guys who can get here a little bit quicker would be an option if for pitchers. So it, it'll be, um, I, I think the farm system is not as far away as people think. And I, I certainly don't think anything that it has because there's some serious hitting prospects down at low A right now. Yeah, even high A, and there's some guys in the double A and triple A I like. I mean, I think there's a lot of pieces on this team, or in the system, I should say. Jake, um, I didn't tell you this, by the way. I'm going to Wilmington this summer for the first time. My first trip out to see the, the Blue Rocks for a couple of games, so I'll have some nice. in-depth reporting on that. Uh, this just broke this week, that story. Uh, my last two things I want to talk about real quick here, Jake. Number one, had a question about Jorge Soler earlier in the week. You know, if he's for real, somebody should buy him on their fantasy team, and, and I said absolutely. The one thing that did bother me over the weekend with Soler, and I'm sure you saw the same thing, is the na- the knock on him has always been recognizing the breaking pitch, especially the slider low and away, the breaking stuff away. He's got not only tries to pull it, you know, when he's when he's going bad, he tries to not only pull everything that's out there, but he also swings at balls that aren't strikes. And some some people think it's pitch recognition. He struggles with that. Some people think he guesses. Either way is bad, but there were some just awful at-bats this weekend from him over and over. First pitch, breaking balls low and away, and he swung at every single one of them way out of the zone. We're talking, like, multiple at-bats. I'm sure you noticed the same thing. Are you worried at all about this, uh, or is it just a, a simple thing where he just has to readjust to what they're doing and get back to what he was doing the first few weeks? Or I mean, Am I making too much out of this is what I'm asking you, or are you a bit concerned about that? I mean, I was a little concerned, I mean, especially watching him today because he was getting nothing but breaking balls and he was swinging at everything. And, you know, he was probably just a little over-anxious. I'm sure it'll some, it's something they'll work on with him as he goes. Um, but, but, yeah, it's just a thing where, you know, he was getting a couple of weeks ago, he was getting himself into a lot of favorable accounts and was hitting everything hard where uh, this, you know, this weekend and really the last week he's been a little bit anxious and swinging early and swinging at pitches out of the zone. So, I don't think it's at least anything mechanical. I think it's more of just him identifying pitches and being over-anxious. I think he needs to start getting back to being patient because guys in the league, when they see somebody have success like him, are going to adjust. Right. If they see something that he's still not picking up well and the breaking ball is low and away, they're going to continue to throw him. So he's going to have to adjust, start looking towards the opposite field and be a little bit more patient in order to continue to have success this year. Kind of reminds me of, you know, he, he hits the crap out of the fastball, so he's not seeing fastballs. Kind of reminds me of the movie Major League with Serrano <laughs> when he's hitting the home runs, and they say, Jesus, this guy hits the ball a mile. How do we get him? Throw him the curveball. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of like the same thing. All right, Jake, last thing I want to go over here is my new favorite stat. The last year and a half, I've gotten into ISO big time, and I tweeted out about John Jay's ISO yesterday and had somebody write me and say, would you please explain what that is? And I said, I'll do it in the next uh, dish. So let's go over ISO, Jake. So first of all, what the ISO definition is, it's slugging percentage minus batting average. So you're kind of seeing how useful a guy's raw power is. You're seeing if a guy hits a lot of doubles, triples, home runs. It's, you know, it's another, it's a quicker way, I guess, than looking at, okay, this guy's got this many hits and only this many of them are extra bases. ISO is a quick way to see somebody's raw power. It's how it's measured. So John Jay has just a .053 ISO. So first of all, league average is right around 140, so .140. So 140 is a league average ISO. Um, I think it was, was it? I think it was James that asked me this question, so I, f- I forgot the name. My bad on that. But 140 is about a league average ISO, Jake. John Jay is hitting at .053. Let's go through some other names here to give you an example of how bad 053 is. Even Alcides Escobar is at .083, which is still awful. But, I mean, 
You look at Moose is at <laughs> 239, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Jorge Soler is at 250, which is really good. Jake, take a guess. Well, I'll just tell you. Mike Trout is at 340. <laughs> That's unbelievable. It's 140 is league average ISO. It's like everything he hits is like, you know, a home run, double or triple. But for those, you know, listening right now, I don't know, Jake. I mean, you and I were really on OPS a few years back, and we still love that stack because it does show a lot. But this ISO, especially if you play fantasy baseball, start looking at ISO. You know, if if you play uh, daily fantasy or season long, look at how – you know, splits. Look how a guy is against lefty pitching. See what his ISO is against a certain side pitcher, and it really helps you out with fantasy sports. Is something yep. not not that you or I ever play any sort of daily fantasy. There's no sort of wagering of that, that ever happens. But if there is, we love the stat ISO. So that's kind of a quick overview of ISO, Jake. And you know, .053 from John Jaso and 140 is the league average. That's uh, what do we do with John Jay, Jake? I mean, because you old school. I guess he's one of those old school guys. Like 20 years ago, you look at him and he's like, and you're like, man, he's hitting 280. He's a pretty good player, right? But it's you know, but it's like now that we understand baseball better and have these stats, like, right? Do you even like look at batting average anymore, really? No. <laughs> It doesn't really tell you that much. I mean, mean, honestly, remember when Hal Morris would hit like, well, you're probably too young for Hal Morris, but Hal Morris would hit like 300 with like, his ISO, I actually look at his ISO up, it was probably like a buck 20 or something. I mean, he had like no power, (laughs) but he, you know, hitting, playing the first base. But so that's kind of an overview on ISO. What is your favorite stat? Do you have a, is is it still OPS offensively? Is it ISO? What do you like? On base? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on base and OPS. Hard contact. You know, the last. Couple years have been on, but yeah, ISO is one that I've really started to pick up this year. And yeah, John Jay is, is it's it's embarrassing. I mean, <laughs> when you look at it, it makes sense because he has seven extra base hits this season, right? <laughs> so, and 175 at bats, so it, it makes sense. I mean, when you look at it, but John Jay, I mean, is as much as we laugh about it. He's the same player that he is really every year. I mean, maybe he had a few more doubles in the past years, but. You know, we see there's there's no hard contact coming off the bat ever. Everything he hits is pretty much he, a ground ball or a little looper over the infielder's head. And he's a he's a really good guy. So we're not trying to like pile on John Jay, but I wanted to explain the stat no. uh, the stat to you. And you, you're right, John Jay is what he is, Jake. He's not going to steal. I mean, he's just he's not going to steal bases, which is a problem if you're not hitting for power. He's you know I don't know. I would call him league average outfielder defensively. Have you seen anything that makes you think otherwise? Well, no. I mean, he has he has one of the worst outfield arms I would say in baseball, and it's not not even a debate. We, right. we saw that on full display this afternoon how bad his arm is. Right. And as far as running routes, I mean, he, he's okay. He's got a he runs not today again. <laughs> Today's not a good example, but he's had he's had his moments where he's run some pretty good routes out there and gotten the balls I wasn't expecting. But yeah, he's. I mean, I think John Jay realistically he's you know a good fourth. He's a fourth outfielder right. on the defense. Exactly. Team. Exactly. John Jay is what Paulo Orlando should have been. Like, yeah. He, the, you know what I mean? Like, he's like a fourth or fifth outfitter, which is what the Royals had Paulo Orlando be. Realistically, John yeah. Jay is good enough at the major league level to be a fourth or fifth outfitter. Paul Orlando probably at this point in his career is not, but yeah, that's kind of the even with the low, even with the low ISO for John Jay. I mean, if he continues this type of season, I think he. I mean, I don't. We're not going to get much for him, but I think we can get him to a contender who needs help in the outfield. He'd be a good guy in an NL team for double switches, to pinch yep. hit, that can move a runner over, that can play defense. I mean, he'd be he'd be a good NL guy. You're right. A, a, a fringe can. That's the kind of guy that a fringe contender goes for, right? Like the team yeah. that's like six games out of the wild card just to make it look like they care to like to their fans. <laughs> that's like the total prototypical fringe playoff team acquisition. So um, there you go, Jake. Well, there you go. That's my final thought of the day. Is this people 
keep hitting me up, and we've made our, our thoughts clear that, you know, we're fine with what the Royals are doing right now as far as slowing down. Well, first of all, there aren't an abundance of guys who are ready to beat down the door and come up here. So you can't just play young guys just to say you're playing young guys in a rebuild. Part of a rebuild, the first year of it, we talked about this over and over, Jake, is that you suck for a while. You have veteran guys come up to help the few young guys that are here know the way, to put a few butts in the seats. You hope they get some value so you can trade them for more prospects. A, B, you slow down the service clock and get an extra year of arbitration and, and control later for guys that are ready. There aren't too many. There aren't too many guys that are blocked right now. But I will say, after July 31st, guys like John Jay, I will have a problem if they're still playing every day. Alcides Escobar, Duda, some of these guys after August 1st, right? Are you the same way? I mean, because at that point, you're not going to lose any service time that late in the year. And at that point, you know, the last two months of the year, the, the young guys need to you, – you, you need to have Hunter Dozier, Chesler Cuthbert, Ryan O'Hearn, you know, Richard Lovelady, all these guys coming up. Are you with me on that kind of the same timeline? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, once once the deadline passes, you know, August first, these these guys should be up here. I mean, you know, we should be seeing some younger guys playing, and none none of these older veterans should should even be really on the roster anymore. Yeah, there's not much of a point unless you want to keep them around to help the younger guys. I can see maybe, you know, and I don't know. But anyway, I digress. We we can talk about this stuff more in the future. I just get on tangents here, Jake. That's enough for this edition of the dish. Anything else you want to add? Nope, I'm good. We'll we'll see how the road trip goes. So hopefully at least some competitive games again. Yeah, actually. Well, hopefully we'll get together maybe Monday, maybe Memorial Day night or something we can do our next uh, Royals dish here. There will be an interview with Kevin Linick coming up this week from the Omaha Storm Chasers. And we've got uh, a couple former players coming up in the near future. A, a big old list, actually, Jake. I'm excited for plenty more interviews and content here on Clubhouse Conversations. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Hit us up on Twitter, at Royals Clubhouse. We hope we're a decent follow. We appreciate you following and appreciate you listening on Clubhouse Conversation. Have a great night.